Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and growers, industry, the science community, and policy makers to hear their stories and opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week on Factor Magri, longtime farmer Greg Anderson joins me to discuss the current season and some of the key issues for farmers as we head into an election. Greg is with me now. Hello, Greg. Thank you for talking with me today. No, that's not a problem, Angus. Good to talk to you. Yeah. Please, can you tell me a bit about yourself, where you farm, and, and what you farm? So, mine's a bit of an interesting story. I've um, downsized. I used to farm a 1,500-hectare extensive hill property just across the valley in the Fairley Basin. But um, two years ago, me and my wife sold out. And now I've just got a small 25-hectare um, block, which I'm fattening lambs and trading a few cattle. Just had a change of lifestyle. Um, been in the last probably for 25 years and the right person came along to buy it. And I thought, well, we'll make a we'll change of lifestyle a wee bit. I've got involved a wee bit in farming politics and doing a bit of off-farm stuff, which I'm enjoying. Plus, yeah. just doing casual around the district. So it's good. Yeah, very good. And how's the property going? Are you happy with, with the way the new owners are, are running a place that, that you called home for a long time? Yeah, really good. A young couple with a young family, I really like it. It's the fact that, the fact that they're um, you know, owner-operators and... You know, it hasn't gone into trees or been taken over by a neighbour. It's a new guy starting now, which I really, I'm really chuffed about. Yep. No, oh, that's great. And how has the summer and autumn seasons been with you? Uh, we've been really good. It's been unusual for South Canterbury because South Canterbury is a sort of province that you can go from a feast to a famine in the space of two weeks. Mm. Um, but we've basically been, we've been wet for two and a half years, to be honest. Right. We haven't dried out in two and a half years. And we had an outstanding autumn this year. Um, I know your memory as a farmer plays tricks on you, but I think it's probably the best autumn I can ever remember. Grass grew right through the end of May, and we had sufficient moisture and lovely days. Yeah, same here in North Canterbury, where I am. Um, it's been one of the best that anyone can remember up here. Almost spring-like conditions, really. Yeah, no, it was great. Yep. Mm. And what about winter? We're sort of trekking into winter quite quickly. How's that? How's that kicking off? Yeah, we like I said we had we had a couple of weeks of hard frost probably a week ago, and you know we, we're wet underfoot, but those frosts sort of dried things up a wee bit. But we're back to wet again. At this stage, it's looking quite mild. You know, as I said, there's no snow, there's no real snow line around the mountains, so we'll see what progresses. Mm. Yeah, and you touched on uh, obviously it being wet. Uh, winter grazing rules impacting farmers in the region, and a policy makers getting this one right. Do you think? Yeah, it's a difficult one. It's, I've had a bit to do with I'm hearing some stories of interpretation rather than actually following the rules from officials, whereas, you know, I heard of a case the other day where a farmer was um, expected to have a 20-metre buff, buffer back from a from a water race where the legislation only says six metres. So straight right. away you can see we're getting, we're getting interpretation from, from from bureaucrats, which, you know, is frustrating. Um, I, I, you know, you're supposed to have a consent in Canterbury if you haven't done um, because the freshwater farm water plans aren't out yet. I know they've only had 33 applies, so that tells me there's a lot of farmers out there just going under the radar, yep. which makes sense to me. You know, it's just practicality. I mean, you know, who wants to pay a $3,000 deposit if you're not sure you're going to get the consent? So that's yeah, probably that's... the worrying thing for me from a policy point of view. Yeah, and of course, it, it comes at significant cost to the farmer too, doesn't it? Yep, definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, especially the, um, the stock exclusion fencing, but the winter grazing, you can sort of get rounded a wee bit with, you know, with um, if you 
applying for consent, you can show other ways you're mitigating it, maybe just through temporary fencing and that sort of carry-on and buffers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and keeping away from critical water sources. Yeah. And, and just on that stock exclusion, I see that the government has announced a consultation on amendments to the regulations. What do you make of this? Uh, well, the, I suppose they're really concerned about the low slope map as far as intensive versus extensive stocking. I did read the document that they're asking for consultation back on, on you know, what stocking rate you'd sort of get away with not having to fence. But I think that's a bit naive. I mean, surely you want to look at the overall picture, you know, what time of the year it is, what class of stock it is, mm. whether it's a, 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 you know, a water body that's going to be affected. You know, I think it's far better um, assessed through freshwater farm plans or farm environment plans or management plans rather than going down strict rules on, you know, stock units, which is what they're looking at from mm. what I've read in the document. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. Now, obviously, we are in an election year, and we've seen policy out from the National Party, particularly around emissions pricing, sequestration, and carbon farming. What do you make of their plans? Should they get into government later this year? Uh, some, some of it sounds, um, you know, promising. I'm not sure whether, um, I mean, definitely putting the emissions trading thing off for, I think it's five years, isn't it? Yeah. Is uh, it's probably going to help farmers, but you know, I don't think we're going to get away from. It. Eventually, someone's going to want to do something because that's the way of the world, unfortunately. Now, so we need to we need to address the targets. To be honest, you know, everyone goes on about because climate change is such a complex matter, and I mean, I don't believe as many politicians, let alone people in New Zealand, understand it. And they're putting these rules in place ad hoc, and they're not thinking ahead about the consequences, which always worries me with government regulation. I mean, if they could get, with the Zero Carbon Act, we're supposed to be um, carbon free by 2050. Well, the the targets they've set is what's going to put sheep and beef farmers out of business. But the targets we actually need to achieve um, net zero by 2050 are achievable if they go at that point, the 0.3% per year rather than the 10 up to, you know, 47% they're talking. That's that's the worrying thing is the targets. Everyone gets bogged down in other stuff, but the targets is what makes it difficult. Mm. I think you're right there, but also... That is hard to understand. I agree with you there, but also I think one of the bigger things for me is is sequestration because the current, current policymakers have essentially, to this point, really ignored total on, on-farm sequestration. And we know that on-farm there is carbon being sequestered that can be measured, that is currently excluded, which of course will make most farmers, I suggest, particularly sheep and beef farmers, closer to carbon neutral, or in many cases, carbon positive, which of course won't allow the government to collect tax. Agree 100%. Angus, you know, my property I was just talking about, I sold. If it wasn't carbon neutral, carbon in credit, I'd eat my hat. You know, I mean, 50% of the property was still in native vegetation. I mean, some of it was tussock and and snowgrass, but it was pockets of bush and a lot of Madagari and, um, you know, manuka and back corners and gullies and that. And yet that's not counted. It's just mm. ridiculous. Mm. It, it, either, it either absorbs carbon or it doesn't. It's like the old argument, you know, we were listening to Peter go crook the other day on TV about wool. Well, I mean, wool actually absorbs carbon as it grows. And I've mm. had that confirmed by the Climate, the Climate Commission, but they say it's too difficult to measure. Well, it either absorbs it or it doesn't. Yeah. And, the climate, you're right, the Climate Change Commission has said things like wool and many of our native species is too hard to 
too hard to measure. But in actual fact, there are a number of tools internationally that are being used that are actually measuring carbon sequestration quite accurately, particularly uh, in the States. Yeah, and that's what we need our regulators and politicians to start listening to these people and, and looking into it. So what do you think we can expect out of the current government, Labour, uh, this year in this area? Are they going to come around to more of Nationals thinking, do you think, or, or do you think they'll hold their current line? Uh, it's hard to know. Some some of those politicians, you know, some of the, the ministers in there are pretty um, dogmatic about what they want to achieve. I don't think they can achieve it successfully by election time. And if they do, it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a balls up, to put it politely. Mm. Um, you know, they're reviewing the RMA, which is bloody important across all aspects of New Zealand society. And I don't think they can do that properly by the election, but they seem to think they will. You know, and then a lot of these regulations are trying to put in place there hasn't been fair consultation, I don't believe. So I hope they, you know, knowing politicians, they're going to back off a bit because there's an election coming up and they don't want to upset, you know, the rural sector because they can see national and actor trying to grab the, as much of the rural sector as possible. Is it odd to you on one hand that farmers are celebrated by current policymakers for their contribution and importance to the economy, yet continue to attempt to pile tax on farmers, which increases costs of production and squeezes the sector. And just one example of this is the fertiliser tax that was being drafted by Mr O'Connor. Yeah, I'm not sure what he was thinking there. I think he was trying to appease some of the people on the Green Party, to be honest. That whole fertiliser tax and 190 um, nitrogen load is all about ideology. It's not about common sense. And I'm quite happy to say that. Um, yeah, I, I don't understand. I, yeah, I problem is a lot of politicians aren't practical people and a lot of them haven't been involved in business, I don't believe, and don't understand the realities of the real world, you know. I mm. just, I wish they could just follow through on a bit more common sense sometimes. Because mm. mm. like, like you said, you know, every country in the world has got a natural advantage. New Zealand's natural advantage is growing pasture and we need to take advantage of it. Not, not to the detriment of the environment, but we need to take advantage of that advantage we have. So, Based on all because this, if they, want, if they want to pay nurses more. If they want to pay nurses more and educate people, we need to get income from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep, and certainly farming at our our primary sector is doing that. So, what does farming and our rural communities look like in fifty years? Do you think, based on what we're seeing now? Uh, we'll we'll still be here. We'll still be partial farming. We'll still be eating meat, I believe. Although some people tell us we won't be. I worry a wee bit that the Family farm owner operators are under pressure. They really are, and which is disappointing because I believe that form of structure is the most efficient form of farming and the most receptive of ideas. You know, people say corporate farming is important, but I don't think they can. I don't think they're as efficient as the family or owner operator. I think they're under pressure. We'll have a lot more um, technology being used in the next fifty years. There'll probably be a lot more or regulation. You know, I don't think we get away from that. You know, unfortunately, the next generation of farmers will be very adept at doing cons farming by consents and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, you look back to the early settlers, you wish you lived back in that time sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is getting harder. So you think the family farm could be under threat. You th we could see more corporate farming. And, of course, things like carbon farming inflate the value of farms disproportionately, I believe. And it's and the barriers to entry for young people coming through, it's getting getting very, very hard, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. 
I mean, the whole carbon thing is it's just be, it just shows you, that's what I was talking about earlier on about unattended consequences when government don't think about their regulation. They've caused it, and it's just so frustrating. I mean, it hasn't changed behaviour. You know, Ikelia and all these companies overseas are still um, doing the same behaviour, but they've said they've, they've bought a get-out-of-jail card free in New Zealand by planting some trees, mm. and it's ruining small rural communities. Uh, I, you know, it's really frustrating. I mean, it's pity we hadn't looked at the... Um, at some of the ideas that Simon Powell put forward early on that when he said that only farmers should be able to offset their admissions event against methane through planting trees and not multinational companies. If we'd mm. gone down that track and if we'd looked at when old um, Winston Peters and Shane Jones are chucking a billion trees around, if we'd talked to sheep and beef farmers in New Zealand and helped them and encouraged them, every sheep and beef farmer's got a little gully somewhere that's unproductive, would make no difference to their production, could have been planted in natives, and we could have solved their problem if we'd started that 10, 15 years ago. I mean, farmers can still do that now, but the right government policy could have driven that, but they never thought of it properly. Mm. There's some real challenges out there. I hope that you know we can wind back or, or we can certainly put a stop to, to the current track in terms of where this carbon forestry is going. And in terms of nationals' position, well, they clearly have put forward a proposal that would essentially put a stop to uh, international investment anyway. And I think based on that, we'd end up seeing a carbon price come back to almost zero, I think. Um, of course, we're, we're the only the only nation in the world that allows 100% of offsetting. It's just ludicrous in my mind. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably what will slow it down, Angus, is that the carbon market in New Zealand will probably collapse and hopefully it'll stop people planting heaps of big forests. Mm. Any final thoughts for our policymakers out there in, in election year? Just, you know, my thoughts are, you know, all, all politicians and local body politicians are guilty of not consulting properly. You know, they always seem to pick on farmers when it's the busiest time of the year. They don't get input from people that understand the industry. They don't get input from practical people. They say they do, but, it, you know, I just, I, I don't see it in my, in my spheres. I think mm. they've got to be far more community focused and then we might and then we might get we might get better regulation yeah well it's all going to unfold around us this year so um we'll certainly watch on with interest greg i've enjoyed chatting with you today thank you very very much for your time yeah thanks angus enjoyed it too we need accurate measurements using the right tools that deliver the correct information it is at that point policy should be formed what we don't need in this country as pencil pushers in Wellington with ideological political aspirations that don't work in the real world. We need policymakers listening harder to the farming community and we need outcomes that are fair and policy that is driven by science. That's all for me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.